today. Our scripture comes from Acts. I bet you're surprised about that. Um, today is the last day in our series in the book of Acts for now. We'll go back in a couple weeks, I promise. Um, but today is from Acts chapter 13, verse 1 through 3. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a member of the court of Herod the ruler, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, friends, I'm thankful uh, for Connor. Uh, for last week, Connor and Andrea stepping in and preaching. Somebody asked me why I chose to leave on Labor Day, and I said, I've been an associate pastor for five years, and I've always preached Labor Day. <laughs> and this is the first year <laughs> that I did not preach Labor Day Sunday. Uh, and so I'm thankful for them. We got, Adair and I went to Highlands, North Carolina for a few days where the altitude is high and the temperature is low. I'd forgotten what it was like to be chilly. We actually had a fire <laughs> on August 31st. <laughs> Um, and we got to spend some time catching up with friends and family and TV. Um, now, I don't know if you know this, and I don't know if any of you are going to care, but I'm going to tell you anyway because I've got a microphone. Amazon has spent hundreds of millions of dollars in the creation of a show called Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. Anybody, any Tolkien fans, any Lord of the Rings fans in here? The few and the proud, Okay. <laughs> Adair and I are nerds when it comes to Lord of the Rings. We love it. In fact, on our first date, Adair mentioned Lord of the Rings, um, and I think that's when I knew. <laughs> um, when you know, you know. And uh, so we watched, uh, last, we watched the first two episodes of this new series, and we loved every second of it. I mean, you can, sometimes you can just tell uh, when almost a billion dollars is spent on something, I think. And uh, it's beautiful. And after we finished the second episode, we each grabbed our own copies of Lord of the Rings. We have our own copies. And sat there the rest of the evening reading bits and pieces, trying to discern where this show might be headed. Now, for those of you who don't know, and it seems like there may be some of you in here, Tolkien was prolific. And he created intricate languages and whole worlds complete with actual maps. He made up the maps for his books. And he also created these vast mythologies and stories behind the stories of his more popular works. And one of these books is called The Silmarillion. Has anybody heard of that? Anybody heard of that? Oh, wow. It is a book of Tolkien's made-up history for the world he created. He created his own history book. <laughs> now, I've never read it. But we did buy it last week because we were so excited. I don't know if you ever do this, but we were so excited after watching the show. We grabbed our books. We went on Amazon. We ordered some more. And in our rush, we, we were in a rush to discern the possibilities for where the show might go. And I'll never forget, the Silmarillion arrived in a nice Amazon box. And we opened it up. And, and I'll never forget the first sentence I read. I opened the book. And this is what I read. Of old... There was Sauron the Maia, who the Sindar in Beleriand named Gorthar, and in the beginning of Arda, Melkor seduced him to allegiance. Uh, it never bodes well when you understand nothing in the first sentence of a book. 
And it was clear to me at that moment I needed some terms defined for me. I also realized that as luck would have it, there is a glossary in the back of this book. Now, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but it was at that moment when I had to use a glossary for the first sentence of a new book that I realized that I probably wasn't going to make it through the whole book. (laughs) And sure enough, I read on a few pages. I was looking back and forth from the glossary, many terms, just about every sentence. And don't get me wrong, I sort of started to follow the narrative thanks to the glossary. But even with the glossary, I was pretty confused. And I got to tell you, without that, to define what Tolkien is saying, I would have been completely lost. Thank God for glossaries, for dictionaries, and for definitions. We live in need of those kind of things. We live in need of definitions. Definitions are important. Defining is a part of everyday life and really keeps us from getting lost. Defining characterizing, explaining, illustrating their actions that help to add clarity and help us have a greater frame of reference for everything else. I saw, <laughs> I saw a good definition the other day, and it was a definition for coffee. Listen to this. Coffee is a dark, magical substance that turns leave me alone into good morning honey. <laughs> Definitions are important. And we've been doing some some defining of our own the last few weeks in our series on Acts. We have spent the last number of weeks sifting through the Acts of the Apostles, clarifying, explaining, and defining terms and context of the past so that we can better understand what God, God might be trying to tell us today. We spent time defining the kind of curiosity that led Peter to make eye contact with a beggar at the temple gates. We, we took time to clarify active patience The patience in Gamaliel's statement, do you remember what he said? If it's of man, it will fail. But if it's of God, shouldn't we join in? We analyzed adaptability, the kind that that led to the miraculous incorporation of an Ethiopian eunuch and a Gentile centurion into the fold of Christ followers, bringing healing through holy community. And last week, Connor did a great job of sharing about Barnabas and Saul, and he redefined it in terms of a buddy cop movie. I thought that was brilliant. And Connor invited us to be thinking about who it is in our lives that has been a Barnabas to us and how the Spirit of God might be working some Barnabas-like qualities in us. And so our scripture today, it really is kind of a throwaway section. It falls in the midst of some big moments in Acts, and it's often overlooked. I mean, after all, there's no resurrection, there's no healing, there's no well-made argument about the non-necessity of circumcision or a fight about the law of Moses. It's just a church meeting (laughs) and a sending out of a few people. Nothing really unusual. But it does contain a few terms that I think need defining. And before we define those, I want to define the context. What is happening in the book at this point? We already know that Saul, after his brief stint as a persecutor of Jesus' followers, he's literally seen the light. And he's been reborn, and Barnabas sees something special in Saul. He sees a a bright future for this guy. Do you remember Saul goes to the Jerusalem council? Connor talked about it last week. Saul goes and says, I've changed. And they say, "Mm mm-mm, I don't think so. And Barnabas says, actually, I think we should listen to him. And in chapter 11, when Barnabas goes to Antioch to investigate the work of the Spirit, and he sees some incredible things taking place, who does Barnabas call to join him? Saul. After all, he's got some promise. And for a year, 
these two spend their time teaching and learning and living life with those in Antioch, which is also where the disciples were first called Christians. And so after some time in Antioch, one night, the Holy Spirit says this. Right there in the church meeting, the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, two things I want to define in this sentence, two terms. And to do so, if you, if you don't know this, New Testament was written in Greek, so we've got to look back at some pretty ancient language to do it. But I want to start with the first one, set apart. It comes from the Greek aphorizo, which means literally to separate by boundaries, or it can also mean to appoint for a purpose. So it can be kind of good and kind of bad. For example, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus uses the same verb when he talks about separating the goats from the sheep. But then Paul also uses the same word when he's in Galatians, when he's talking to the Galatians, when he articulates that God has set him apart for something special. Now, the same verb is also used of Israel in the prophet Isaiah. In the ancient Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, when Isaiah mentions that Israel has been separated from unclean nations to make a consecrated witness to God's salvation to the ends of the earth, And so a fuller definition of the term set apart helps us understand a greater context. Like Israel, God is setting apart Barnabas and Paul to the great purpose and work of bringing the unclean, the Gentile nations into the family of believers. Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. (laughs) The other term, the second term I want to look at, I think we need to define it, is the, the term used for call the work to which I have called them. Now, the Greek word there is proskaleo, proskaleo. Say it with me, proskaleo. Say it one more time, proskaleo. Way to go, you just learned Greek. It means, this word, it means to call to oneself, to summon to oneself. So God has summoned Barnabas and Saul to work. Now, the same verb is used all over the place. In Acts 16, we read, after Paul had seen the vision We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel. Proskaleo. In Matthew 10, chapter, verse 1, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out spirits and to heal. Proskaleo. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Proskaleo. Now, you've probably heard the term call or called in more modern kind of Christian narratives, the word call carries a lot of meaning. Gregory Mobley says that a calling is a divine commission or vocation. Now, in the ordination process in the United Methodist Church, you have to write a paper on how you are called in the ministry. You have to write a call statement. That's what it's called. And it comes from this understanding that God is calling us to a more abundant way of life and to a mission that God has for us in the world. Proskaleo, calling. There, there are a lot of call narratives in the prophets. Isaiah is called in a vision of an angel and a hot coal and a simple question, whom shall I send? Jeremiah hears a voice from God that says, before I shaped you, before you saw the light of day, I had plans for you. I knew all about you. Then don't you dare say, I'm only a boy. I can't do this. I'll give you the words. I'm calling you to call the people. Ezekiel sees a vision and is called by God. I'm sending you to Israel 
Your job is to speak to them and to call them. Whether or not they listen, that's up to them. (laughs) And to Peter and Andrew and James and John, Jesus calls out, drop your nets and follow. Indeed, God calls many individuals. But God also calls people as, as a group, as a collective. In Exodus, God calls Israel to be a kingdom of priests. In Isaiah, the exiled Israelite community is called to be God's servant. You are my servant, Israel, through whom, through whom I will shine. And in Paul's writings, all over Paul's writings, to be a member of the Christian community is to have received a calling. So it's individual and collective. God's call, God's call to himself, God's proskaleo, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Of course, there's one more way to define calling that we haven't looked at. Eugene Peterson, who authored the message translation of Scripture and was, he was steeped in Hebrew and Greek languages for most of his life, he offers another translation of the word. And another way to define proskaleo that I've recently taken to. And you can hear his definition of this Greek word in the way he writes it in Acts chapter 2. Listen to this. Peter said, change your life. Turn to God and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so your sins are forgiven. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is targeted to you and your children, but also to all who are far away, whomever, in fact, our Lord God invites. For Peterson, proskaleo, calling is an invitation. That's a kind of a real Methodist way of looking at it, isn't it? A very Wesleyan perspective. For Wesleyan theologians, God does not ordain the elect and the unelect. God shares grace. We're not made to accept or decline God's grace. Rather, we have free will and we are invited into the work of God in the world. We are invited to invite God into our hearts. God has not pre-orchestrated our steps or superseded our free will. It all begins with God's call, God's proskaleo, God's invitation. That's provenient grace. That's a term we use a lot. Our confirmands are going to learn about provenient grace this year, that God is ever inviting us into the work of the kingdom. God is endlessly inviting us into the work of grace. Drop your nets and follow me. You are called. You are invited. A few months ago, I was in a conversation Another person was asking if I had ideas for the future of our church. I said, no, I'm kidding. I said, yeah, I've got a few. Just seeing if you're listening. I said, yeah, I've got a few. And I was asked to present a few to those to, uh, of those ideas to church council in early August, and I did. I wrote about it in The Shepherd that came out this month, but I figured it would be a good thing to share with you all. <laughs> I'm defining it as a working vision. And really, this started out as a personal goal a few months ago. But as I read some of the questionnaires, the surveys that you filled out in May, specific to the question, what are your hopes and dreams for this church? I learned that I wasn't alone. (laughs) That so many of you have hopes and dreams for this community. And you you talked about a lot of things. We we love children. We want to reach out to children. Great children's ministry, a vibrant youth group, solid biblical preaching, But more than anything, I kept reading about your desire to grow. And some talked about numerical growth. They want numerical growth. But some talked about in relationship with God and with one another. We want to grow. 
And I want you to know this morning that I want that for you too. I want to see you grow in love of God and neighbor. I would love to see new friends join our community. And on August 9th, I shared my personal goals for this church in the form of a few numbers. And then I invited everybody to join with me. And let me preface this by saying that numbers are not the most important thing to me. As John Wesley said, I think God is a little more concerned with the heart. (laughs) But numbers give me a little goal to shoot for. And actually, that goal helps me shape my days. That goal helps me craft my sermons and my prayer time and my understanding of where we are headed. So I had three little numbers I've been praying through and just thinking on my own. And I I told the church council that by next May 2023, I'd like to meet three goals. I said I'd love to see 50 new families or couples or individuals make this their church home. Two, I said I'd love to see five people come to know Jesus as the Lord of their life and their Savior. Honestly, I'm always just praying for one. I really am. But number three was, by next May, I'd love to have invited five people to church. If you were to ask me now, how many, Andrew, how many people have you invited to church this year? I I don't know that I could tell you. I don't know that I'm sure. So I needed a goal. By May... 2023, I'm going to have invited five people to church. And then I told the church council, and I tell you too, join me. Make that a goal for you. In the midst of all your lives and all the things that you have going, I invite you to invite five people to church by next May. Our statistics organizations tell us that there are more people not going to church right now than ever before. And I wonder to myself, whenever I read those numbers, how many of those people aren't a part of a faith community simply because no one ever asked them to be? How many people have just not ever been extended the invitation? If you truly want to be a church that grows in spirit, in faith, in number, adding to the flock, caring for new friends, caring for one another, if you're ready to really join in and own God's calling for you, then it has to start from a spirit of invitation. We are invited, and we are invited to extend that invite. It reminds me of the Shel Silverstein poem of the same name, Invitation, and I love it. It goes like this. If you are a dreamer, come in. If you are a dreamer, a wisher, a liar, a hoper, a prayer, a magic bean buyer, if you're a pretender, come sit by my fire. For we have some flax golden tails to spin, so come in. Come in. My dream for this church is that you might be a church that feels the calling of God, the invitation of God upon your life and upon your heart, and that that might inspire you to extend that simple invitation to those in your path. My prayer is that you might be so called by God that you might call out to others to join us in what God is doing here. After all, I believe that you are the saints of the church. And John Wesley didn't define saint as someone who is perfect, bright and shiny and mistake-less. No, John Wesley's definition of saint is someone who's on the way. And I believe that you are a people who are on their way. And I expect that if you choose to grow with God and with each other, that you will be a church who cultivates a heart of invitation that invites people to be on the way with you. After all, you have been called 
You've been invited into a life of grace by Jesus Christ. How could you not want to extend that invitation? That is our calling. We have been invited into a life of grace, into something more abundant than we could ever have dreamed of. So come in. Come in. You're invited. Let us pray. Stir within us, O God. Open our hearts. Help us to know you better. Help us to know that you are a God continually inviting us into a life filled with grace and goodness and Jesus. Stir within us, God, that we might be a people who are called a people of invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.